And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. Today we're going to be talking about decisions and looking at some different folks that made some decisions. And last night, I was watching a ball game, and all of a sudden this commercial came on, and I thought, okay, if I can find this, we've got to use it. So go ahead. This is about decisions. Let's hide in the attic. No, in the basement. Why can't we just get in the running car? Are you crazy? Let's hide behind the chainsaws. If you're in a horror movie, you make poor decisions. That's what you do. I'm being quiet. Breathing on me. If you want to save 15% or more on car insurance, you switch to Geico. It's what you do. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> in horror movies, they always make horrible decisions. Well, throughout history, uh, many people have made some... Have you ever made a bad decision? <laughs> that's kind of a stupid question, isn't it? Let me give you some examples. An inventor named Alexander Graham Bell, we know what he's famous for, right? He made an appointment with with Western Union to sell them on the idea of something new called a telephone that he had invented, and Western Union's president gave his answer, what use could this company make of an electrical toy? Right? And of course, we live with our phones today. A Michigan banker advised Henry Ford's lawyer not to inv- invest in the new car company, assuring him the horse is here to stay, but the automobile is only a novelty. A more recent inventor named Chester Carlson came up with a new machine that was able to make copies of documents. And he first went to IBM, IBM and they told him they weren't interested. He went to Kodak. They told him the same thing. He finally ended up at a small company called the Halloid Company. Um, Corporation, which took the idea and renamed itself what? Xerox. We look at these bad decisions in history and we kind of laugh, uh, but those who made them didn't have our vantage point, did they? I mean, 2020 is pretty good sight. We can all look back on our own uh, bad decisions that we've made and say, if only I had known then what I know now, I wouldn't have made... My my decision would have been different concerning whatever. And of course, the more consequential the decision, the more important it is to make wise decisions. Now, the most consequential decision that any person can make is one that affects his eternal destiny. To blow it on that decision is to fail utterly. Even if a person makes financial or career decisions that succeed fabulously, in the end, those don't matter. So the Jews and Pilate's decision to condemn Jesus Christ uh, was the worst decision in the history of the world. It brought awful judgment on the Jewish nation, which later revolted against Rome and was wiped out. In fact, the Jews were scattered among the nations for almost 1,900 years. Pilate and every Jew who condemned Jesus and did not repent suffered God's eternal judgment for their sinful decision regarding Christ. Their mistake is portrayed for us in the Gospels uh, so that we'll uh, learn from it and avoid the worst of all possible decisions. But also in this great drama that uh, Debbie just read, uh, we meet another character who is a type, a type of those who have sinned by rebelling against God, yet in spite of their sin, they're set free. Now that man is Barabbas. He was in prison for insurrection, murder, and robbery. 
He was set free that day through no merit of his own, but simply because Jesus died in his place. So the story teaches us that those who condemn Jesus will be condemned. And those who have Jesus as their substitute will be set free. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come this morning uh, just looking at this passage that is so gospel-centered. Uh, Father, that you do the work necessary to draw men to yourself. And Father, uh, we are grateful for the completed work of Jesus on the cross. And I pray that there's anybody in here today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that you would open their eyes, that you would take the wax out of their ears, the hardness of their heart away, so they can see and hear and understand who Jesus really is, the Son of God who died as our substitute. Do it for your honor and for your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in this segment of the story, two characters show us how not to decide about Christ. And so, number one, the Jews and Pilate, they condemned Jesus and they themselves were condemned to judgment. Now, the Jews were the active force pushing hard to condemn Jesus. Pilate, he was more passive. Uh, he reluctantly got dragged along until he yielded to the Jews' demand. So first, let's look at the Jews. A, the Jews actively condemned Jesus and were condemned to judgment. Now, both the Jews and Pilate were guilty. But as Jesus told Pilate earlier, the Jews had the greater guilt. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at how the Jewish leaders willfully and knowingly rejected Jesus as their Messiah. But here, not only the Jewish leaders, but also some from the people make this worst of all possible decisions to crucify the Lord of glory. This is a fairly significant turn of events because now the leaders have won over at least a sampling of the populace. Perhaps they persuaded them that Jesus would never deliver their nation from under Rome's thumb. So the Jewish leaders were playing off of the people's desire to be free from Roman domination so that they could lead a better life. And they were arguing that Jesus wasn't the leader that they needed. But they were also portraying Jesus to Pilate as one who was a threat to Roman sovereignty. Now for us who believe in Christ, it's hard to fathom how a person can know about Christ and yet willfully reject him. But it shows us how strong the power of sin is in the fallen human heart. Often, like the Jews, people mistakenly think that following Christ will not get them the happiness and the freedom that they're seeking in this life. And so they go their own way, only to find out too late that their way is actually the way of destruction. You remember Aaron Burr? You ever heard of him? He was the third vice president of the United States. He actually tied Thomas Jefferson in the number of electoral votes uh, for president. But he lost in the vote in the Congress, largely due to the, the, the efforts of his opponent, Alexander Hamilton. Now later, Burr challenged Hamilton to a duel, and Burr killed Hamilton. And that really discredited him politically. He was later tried for treason, but acquitted. Now he lived a long life, but he was an unhappy man. Interestingly, Burr was the grandson of the godly pastor-theologian Jonathan Edwards. Now, although Burr never knew his grandfather, who had died when he was just a little boy, he had a godly heritage, but he had walked away from it. 
Late in life, he said, 60 years ago, I told God that he, if he would let me alone, I would let him alone. And God has not bothered about me since. How would you like to make that kind of bargain with God? Aaron Burr got what he wanted, but it was a tragic mistake. The Jews got what they wanted. Jesus was crucified. Uh, they later revolted against Rome, but it didn't get them what they wanted. Uh, they were slaughtered by the hundreds of thousands, and those who survived were scattered, as I mentioned. The temple and the city of Jerusalem were totally destroyed. Willful, knowing rejection of Christ always results in awful judgment, if not in this life, certainly in eternity. Well, B, we're going to take a look at Pilate. Pilate passively condemned Jesus and was condemned to judgment. Luke shows Pilate as a man who was dragged inch by inch in this tug of war against the Jewish leaders until finally he gave way and delivered Jesus up to be crucified. He made several attempts to save Jesus because he knew him to be innocent. Now, after his first meeting with Jesus, he told the Jewish leaders, I find no guilt in this man. And that should have settled it. But they kept insisting that Jesus was guilty. Well, next, Pilate sent Jesus to Herod, if you'll remember. And that was in an, uh, an attempt to simply pass the buck. But Herod, Herod did nothing but mock Jesus and send him back to Pilate, implicitly acknowledging that Jesus was, in fact, innocent. So for the second time, Pilate told the Jews that he found him innocent, and Herod concurred. Now, at this point, either because of actual objections, which Luke doesn't record for us, or because he could sense the continued opposition to the crowd, Pilate tried a third tactic to spare Jesus' life. He offered to punish and release him. Now, he uses a mild term for punish, probably to soothe his own guilty conscience, but he was referring to scourging. This is a terrible punishment that sometimes resulted in death. A man would be whipped with leather thongs embedded with metal and glass so that his back would be shredded into ribbons of flesh. Pilate was hoping to do two things, to appease the crowd and spare Jesus' life, but they wouldn't have it. So Pilate tried another tactic. There was a custom of him, Pilate, releasing one prisoner to the people at the feast, and it is now feast time. Verse 17 was probably not in Luke's original, but was added by a later scribe to explain this. Perhaps Pilate suggested what he thought would be a clear choice of extremes. On the one hand, you've got Jesus, who he knew the people considered to be a prophet. And then on the other hand, you've got Barabbas. Oh, my goodness. He was a notorious rebel who was guilty of both robbery and murder. The, po you know, the choice should seem simple. But to Pilate's shock, they called for Jesus' death and Barabbas' release. Pilate still wanted to release Jesus, so he addressed them again, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time, Pilate asked, why? What evil has this man done? I have found no guilt demanding death. I will therefore punish him and release him. But they kept shouting that Jesus must die. Now, in John 19, we find out that, that, that uh, uh, Pilate actually did scourge, have Jesus sent and scourged in hopes of placating the mob. And when that didn't work, finally, tragically, Pilate caved in and he pronounced sentence that their demand should be granted. Barabbas was released, 
released and Jesus was led away to be crucified. Pilate seems to have meant well, but to have been overwhelmed by forces stronger than himself. And while this sin was not as terrible as that of the Jews, he was still guilty of crucifying Jesus. In fact, in, in Acts 4, 27 and 28, the early church prayed, and here's part of their prayer, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. The fact that all of these various people did what God predestined to occur, that doesn't absolve them of guilt. It merely shows that weak, wicked people cannot thwart the sovereign purposes of God. But even though they failed or fulfilled God's purpose by crucifying Jesus, they were guilty and they stand condemned. Now there are probably more people like Pilate than like the Jewish leaders. People who mean well, but get carried along by forces stronger than they are and end up rejecting Christ. Now what can we learn from his mistakes so that we avoid the same? Well, number one, deal with past sins so they don't pull you down to destruction. As I explained a couple of weeks ago, there were several incidences in uh, Pilate's history with the Jews that hindered him from doing the right thing in this particular situation. You remember, he had been brutal toward them. On their part, they had gone to Rome and brought down a serious censure on Pilate. At this point, he could hardly risk the threat of another disgruntled Jewish delegation going to Rome and accusing him of something and getting another censure. So because of his past sins, Pilate did not rule the Jews. They actually ruled him now. And those sins were sucking him down like a giant whirlpool toward this fatal decision regarding Jesus Christ. Now the only way to break away from the power of past sins is to confess them and resolve to obey God now, no matter what the cost. And yes, you will probably pay a price to break away from the old life, but I promise you will pay a greater price if you do not. Well, number two, set godly goals, not worldly goals. Pilate's obvious goal in life was to hang on to his power to promote his political future. Jesus taught that our goal should be to seek first the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God and his righteousness. On the one level, this was the best day of Pilate's life. He, he patched up a quarrel between himself and his political neighbor, Herod. He placated the difficult Jewish leaders and he avoided a riot, a riot that would have brought certain reprimand from Rome. He was able to hang on to power for a few more years. But spiritually, it was the absolute worst day of Pilate's life. Although he didn't want to do it, he ended up condemning the innocent Son of God and he brought down God's judgment on himself. What led Pilate down the wrong fork in the road was his worldly goals. Now many who profess Christ as Savior adopt worldly goals. Like Pilate, they approve of Jesus. They go to church, they call themselves Christians. But the thing that determines their direction in life is the goal of worldly success. They're in a mad pursuit to collect more things. 
If her promotion promises more money, more prestige, a better chance for future advancement, they take it without considering what it will do to their service for the Lord or to their family. Their goal is success in this world, not success in God's kingdom. So we have to have godly goals. Number three, determined to please God even if it means alienating people. Pilate didn't want to kill Jesus and he didn't want controversy with the Jews. He just wanted peace. He really wanted to be neutral about Jesus and just get on with his life. But as we've seen before, that is never an option with Jesus. Pilate's downfall was that he was concerned about pleasing the Jews and pleasing Caesar, but he wasn't concerned about pleasing God. And the Bible's rather clear that if we take a strong stand for Christ, we will alienate some people at least some of the time. We should never deliberately alienate anyone. Paul says, uh, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Both Paul and Jesus, they had many en enemies because they determined to please God above men. As Paul told the Galatians, he said, for, he asked, starts with a couple questions. For am I now seeking the favor of men or God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were striving to please, if I were trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Do y'all hear that? For the first time this week, that hit me like it's never hit me before. If you're trying to please men, you cannot be a bondservant of Christ. So determine to please God in obedience to His Word, even in your thought life and your private decisions. If that's your habit, guess what? You won't be led astray in a time of difficulty. Well, number four, don't compromise your conscience, conscience even if you think it's going to gain you what you want. In some situations, compromise is wise, it's necessary, but it is never wise, necessary, or right if it involves violating God's moral laws and compromising your own conscience. When Pilate declared that Jesus was innocent, he should have stood on principle, no matter how loudly the Jews yelled or, or what they threatened. Why scourge Jesus if you think he's innocent? Pilate was compromising his own conscience, thinking that it would gain the Jews' favor and Jesus' life, a win-win situation. But what he thought was a loophole of escape actually became a noose around his neck. Pilate thought that he was gaining his political life by compromise, but he was actually losing not only his political life, but his spiritual life as well. Now, there are men who uh, will compromise even in the ministry because they think that it will gain them success. But any success that is gained by compromising your conscience, whether it's in ministry or business or your personal life, it's not success with God. If you jettison a clear conscience, you will eventually shipwreck your faith. So the Jews warn us against actively rejecting Christ. Pilate teaches us that we must not passively reject Christ, and we do that by allowing outside pressure to lead us to compromise. If we do, no matter how much worldly happiness or success we gain, we're in danger of losing our very souls. But there is another character in the story, and he offers us a valuable spiritual lesson, and of course that is Barabbas. 
Number two, Barabbas had Jesus as his substitute and went free. There's been a lot of speculation, but the truth is we don't know anything about Barabbas' personal life after he was released. It'd be wonderful to know that he personally trusted in Christ and that he was reformed from his life of violence and sin, but we just don't know. Even so, Barabbas stands on the biblical page this morning as a type, a type for sinners who do trust in Christ. Now, I want you to note four parallels. A, Barabbas deserved to die. Apparently, he had led an insurrection that had resulted in people being murdered. It looks like he had actually killed some himself. He supported himself and his cause through robbery. He had violated the law, and he deserved to die. Now, ironically, uh, Barabbas was guilty of the very crime of insurrection that the Jewish leaders were accusing Jesus of. If Barabbas had been executed, no one would have questioned it. He should have been on the cross. And as such, Barabbas represents every person who has violated God's holy law. We all stand, stand guilty as charged before God's bar of justice. The, the Bible declares all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. A few chapters later, Paul says the wages of sin is death. Like Barabbas, we deserve God's sentence of death. Now, you may protest. Well, I'm no robber or murderer. I live a decent, clean life. I'm a law-abiding citizen. It's not fair to compare me with this criminal. But what God's Word is clear about is that we all have violated God's holy standards hundreds, yea, thousands of times. The Jews who crucified Jesus that day, they would have defended themselves as keepers of God's law. But as Jesus pointed out in the Sermon on the Mount, God's law is not just outward. It's not just what you can see. It's actually inward. If we have been wrongly, wrongly angry, what have we done? We've committed murder. If we have secretly lusted in our heart, what have we done? Committed adultery. Which of us could rightly claim that we have always kept even one of God's Ten Commandments, let alone all ten? Like Barabbas, we deserve to die. Well, B, Jesus, uh, excuse me, Barabbas did nothing to earn his pardon. He didn't get out uh, early for good behavior in prison. He didn't make any promises to reform after he got out. He didn't promise to do a thousand hours of community service. The factors that resulted in his pardon were totally apart from himself. All that he could do was accept the, the pardon. He could never pat himself on the back uh, later because he got out of his death sentence. It was totally due to factors apart from him and even in spite of him. It was free grace. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly how God's salvation is offered to every sinner. If you think that you deserve it or you offer to somehow pay for it, you do not understand. All you can do is recognize that God offers it freely apart from any merit and humbly accept it. We'll see, Jesus died in Barabbas' place. This is literally true. 
for Barabbas. We like to say that God died in our place. God died in, in, in the believer's place. And that's true. But this was literally true for Barabbas. He received a pardon and Jesus died instead of him. Now in his newfound freedom, if Barabbas had followed the crowd to Golgotha that day and watched as they nailed Jesus to the cross, you know that he would have thought, that should have been me. Those nails were meant for my hands and my feet. That man is dying in my place. That is, that is the definition of the substitutionary atonement of Christ. He died in our place. We call this the good news. And it's what the Bible proclaims. We all deserve to die for our sins. But Jesus, the innocent Lamb of God, took our place on the cross as our substitute. He gave His life as the ransom for many. He bore the wrath of God that should have fallen, fallen on you and me, satisfying the penalty that we owe that way, God might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. If your faith is in Christ, His death means that you will not face God's condemnation. Well, D, lastly, Jesus' death resulted in Barabbas' life and freedom. There's really a great irony here. Does anybody know what Bar uh, uh, Bar uh, yeah, Barabbas means, what, it, what his name means? It means son of the Father. The real son of the Father, Jesus, suffered and died on that cross so that this human son of the Father could live and go free. John states that he wrote his gospel that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. If you don't believe in Christ, then you're like Barabbas in prison. You're in bondage to sin. You're under the sentence of death. You're unable to free yourself. Only Jesus Christ can free you from sin and impart eternal life to you so that you become a true son of the Father, a child of God. Now, every year in countries that are predominantly Roman Catholic, such as the Philippines, Mexico, you can find pilgrims who torture themselves in an attempt to atone for their sin. They sometimes crawl on their knees on broken glass uh, towards a crucifix. They go so far as to hire men to flog them and then to put a crown of thorns on their head. Some even go so far as to allow themselves to be nailed to a cross. Others do other deeds of penance. Now, sadly, these people do not understand the heart of the Christian gospel. That gospel is that Christ fully paid the penalty we deserved, and we can do nothing except re receive His salvation by faith. Human pride wants to say, hey, at least, at least let me help. Let me do my part. But the Bible says salvation belongs to the Lord. If Jesus Christ crucified if He is your substitute, if He is your hope, you will know the salvation of God. Let's pray. Father, what a, what a clear example of uh, the truth of the gospel. 
here Barabbas is, he is sentenced to die and he is released and, and Jesus is condemned and Jesus dies in his place. Father, it's just a, a foreshadowing of the fact that Jesus died for the sins of the world. So God, I pray this morning, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would show us the sin that is in there. Help us to turn from our sin. Father, forgive us where we have failed you. Be merciful to us and reveal yourself. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be sitting out there and you're, you're like Barabbas. Uh, you don't know Jesus Christ. You've never heard of Jesus Christ. You've, you've just been in sin. I'm not saying you're a murderer and you're a robber, although in your heart you may very well be. Uh, you, you could be just a very normal, everyday-looking person. But you don't know God. You do not know His Son, Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus died on the cross even for you. I encourage you this morning to turn to God. Ask Him to be merciful to you. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins. He's the one you have sinned against, God. And then just trust the completed work of Christ. In the West here, we're, we're way too wired to fix ourselves, to contribute, to do something, to gain something. That's not the way salvation works. You simply trust what Jesus did on the cross and you say, yes, Lord, I'm yours. He'll make you a son of the Father, a child of God. If you're a believer, I hope that you'll just examine your own heart. I hope that this story of Barabbas, it really spoke to me as it hasn't before to understand that he really did. I mean, you can actually say, yeah, this was all grace. He didn't do anything to get off the hook. The people just said, we want Barabbas. And so he was off and Jesus died in his place. Well, when you turn to God, that, when you turned to God, that's exactly what happened. Uh, the righteousness of Christ was applied to you and your sins were forgiven because of his death on the cross. So I hope that you just got a good picture of your Savior this morning and the salvation that he wrought on your behalf. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, CrawfordvilleFBC.com.